Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Michael Calderon Show. We're so glad you could join us. And uh, for once, I can say we have a beautiful, sunny South Florida day here. It's June 20th, and we thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, with me, we have... uh, my guest co-host, Adriana. Adriana, how are you today? Oh, Michael. I am so enjoying this weather. It's such a change from the past couple of weeks. It really has been, yes, indeed. I think the past uh, couple of days we've been we've been a, a bit spoiled, so I hope that uh, that the weather continues just the way it's going right now. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, we have a great guest coming on today. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. excited. Yes, indeed. So Ann Keel is a media professional. And uh, some of you may, uh, th- those of you that are here in South Florida, you know, I, I always have to remind myself, we have listeners all over the world. So um, some of the guests that we have on, although we've had some international guests, some of the guests that we have on are local. So I always have to remember that. So um, Ann Keel, uh, those of you that are local, to the uh, South Florida area. Uh, You may recall uh, seeing her uh, most recently on WSVN Channel 7. Um, And um, she's joining us today. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about her. Uh, She has spent more than a decade keeping communities informed as a television news reporter. She's received multiple Emmy nods and awards for her impactful work. She's an active volunteer with United Way of Miami-Dade and proudly serves on the organization's Young Leaders Society Executive Committee. Um, She has spent three years uh, here at WSVN covering breaking news and hurricanes. Of course, we are in uh, hurricane season now. Um, Uh So prior to returning to Miami, uh, Anne lived in Orlando, where she worked as a special projects reporter at WOFL-TV. And there she regularly tackled exposés centered around societal concerns, including immigration policy, hate groups, repeat sex offenders, among other uh, topics. So talking about a story that she covered, um, and I think it's going to tie into the current immigration situation that's going on um, at our border with children being separated from their families. Uh, she spent three years prior in Indianapolis, Indiana, as a City Beat reporter and fill-in anchor at Fox 59, where she was awarded an Emmy and received other accolades. She started her accomplished career at WATE-TV in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, she studied journalism and political science at Boston University. She later attended American University in Washington, D.C., where she earned a master's degree in journalism and public affairs. In her spare time, Anne enjoys the South Florida sunshine, especially if she can head to the Florida Keys for an all-day fishing trip with her husband, whom she adores. And let me just add, they're newlyweds. Uh, They just got married recently, and and we'll be talking to her about that as well. She has many other interests and likes that include volunteering, writing, drawing, and cooking. She's a recent cancer survivor and describes herself as complicated and simple and always honest. Anne is very appreciative of the undying love and support that she has received from her parents as well as her husband, and she values family above all else. 
Um, I do recommend if you want to connect with her that you follow her on social media. Uh, she's on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And you can also go to her website at www.annkeel.com. And that's A-N-N-K-E-I-L.com. And you can follow her there on social media. So without further ado, we're going to bring Ann on. Ann, how are you today? Hi, Ann. I'm good. Thank you so much for such a sweet introduction. Absolutely. And thank you so much for agreeing to join us. Um, you know, you, you've had a lot going on in the past month or so uh, with, you know, getting married and surgery, et cetera. So, um, you know, making time for us, I truly, truly appreciate that. Of course, of course. And it has been uh, a little hectic, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> you think? My husband and I, my husband and I laughed that we just squeeze it all in one. Uh, you know, I think sometimes in marriages, it probably takes a couple of years to experience the worst and best of life together and, and see what happens. But we decided to bundle it up in the first month. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was. We we survived. We survived, and we're stronger for it. So I appreciate you noting that as well. I look. I really. I enjoy speaking with you. I know we met via social media, and um, among the uh, people who I don't know personally and don't know well, you've been there, uh, checking on me and sending your wishes and your prayers and uh, articles for me to read. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's really appreciative, and um, I, I'm hopeful that everyone else in the community know that that you're there and you're that kind of person. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm humbled by your comments. I appreciate that. Were you going to say something, Adriana? No, I just think it's completely amazing how, you know, you guys were able to withstand everything that came your way in just a few months. And, you know, I'm sure that, like you said, it's only building you for even a greater future together. And now you definitely know, you know, through thick and thin, he's going to be there. Yeah, he's a keeper. Yeah, uh, and to give everyone background, uh, I was married on April sixth, and um, I had, uh, which was a Friday, and then I had surgery for the cancer on the following Tuesday. Um, I actually learned about the cancer about a month or so um, before uh, my wedding, and um, it really was for me. Uh, giving myself a little bit of time to actually make it to my doctor's appointments and not put work first and try and make it there because uh, as like many couples, uh, Tim and I were talking about wanting to have a family soon and I wanted to make sure I was good to go in all ways. And, um, and it was certainly a surprise, as you can imagine. I think weddings, as most couples will say, are stressful enough. Um, but yes. um, it actually gave us some strange sense of grounding um, and I like to call it a blur of beautiful magic. So, um, you know, you really appreciate the moments. And um, for him and I both, we've traveled all over through our lives. Um, and I like to say pick up, picked up gems along the way in friendships that have lasted for decades. And um, it was the one time we were able to have all those people in one place, uh, along with obviously our families. And uh, it was it was a gift. I think, um, you know, when you go down to with this mask over your face and you're about to go into the surgery, you don't know what will happen during and, and after in the recovery. Um, having those memories so close um, in time 
really uh, give you that kind of strength that, that, that help you pull through. I think that's where, why I'm even where I am right now, and I'm feeling great. That's Amazing. wonderful. That really is wonderful. And, you know, obviously uh, we, we've, had, we've had other cancer survivors on the show uh, previously, and, you know, we're always promoting people getting tested, seeing their doctors regularly, um, how was it for you? How did you come to know what was happening with you? You know, I, I, it, it's interesting because I've had this conversation recently with a few people who I've, you know, shared some more of my medical information with. And I'll tell you, I saw probably three or four doctors um, in the length of time that they believe I had the cancer. I actually felt it. Um, And I was told that it was nothing um, or that it wasn't connected to this ear problem I was having. I sort of had a hollow uh, feeling in my ear, almost, you know, when you go in an airplane and you you kind of, it locks that on you and you usually can pop them and they come back. It was pretty much stuck like that. And so I was seeing a lot of different doctors. And when I pointed out what I felt and what ended up being the cancer uh, is actually in my face uh, near my jawline. Um, A lot of the doctors said, no, nothing to worry about might just be a lymph node that's angry and it will go back down again and it's nothing to be concerned about. So um, I did a lot of testing, but none that actually discovered something real in my face. Even on a CT scan, actually, it didn't even show up. The tissue didn't have a differentiation. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things I just put behind me and I said, you know what, I'm not a doctor. I, I could become a mini expert in many things. I've learned that through my journalism career and you just have to trust the experts. And um, I'm just so glad that things happened as they did. I decided to get married. I decided to start talking about having a family. And I said, you know what? I really need to go to someone good. I really need to just know. Um, because as we all know, the unknown makes you a little crazy. Um, and right. so I stopped and just <laughs> said, you know what? I deserve, I deserve an hour, uh, two hours of the doctor's office just to see and to make sure that everything's all right. And, and it really... It kind of happened quickly, um, had another CT, also didn't show, um, ended up with an ultrasound, and we went from there. But um, they ended up finding out at that point that it was a cancer. Um, but in terms of the details of the cancer, we wouldn't even know until the surgery. So um, it just took a little while to get healthy first because, as you can imagine, the job of a TV news reporter <laughs> is slightly stressful. And um, we'd had a lot of big stories recently, and so sleep wasn't my friend. Uh, so I spent right. some time getting healthy and then um, talked to my surgeon and he said, you know what, you know, because of all these other doctors telling you it was nothing, you, you've had this probably for a couple of years and one month won't make a difference and go get married. So we, so we did that. Kind of, kind of tough, but, um, you know, I think brides are supposed to be happy throughout and I certainly was, um, but uh, we certainly experienced a lot of emotions from, from day one all the way through. <laughs> I can imagine. And that must have put everything into perspective when you were really walking down the aisle and when you were with your friends and family, just not knowing, you know, what was going to come about after the surgery. I mean, I know that we get stuck in this, all the superficial things in our head. I know from my experience, it was difficult to kind of bring my head down to the ground and just think about why I was, you know, walking down the aisle or, or you know, what was actually going on because I was so worried about flowers and this and that, you know, it was, 
well, at the end of it, when I look back, I was like, wow, those, those things were so meaningless. I could have been concentrated on so much more. And I bet that for you, it was almost a little blessing that kind of pushed you a little bit to really just enjoy that night. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I, I look back and some people say, well, why don't you just have the surgery right away and delay the wedding and, and so on and so on. And I, I'm really happy with my decision. I think for me, um, the wedding took my mind off of a cancer diagnosis and, and the what ifs and the unknowns um, and, and vice versa. Um, you know, it, it helped me try and not be a little too crazy about the, the little details in weddings that become, you know, so important. And I know a lot of, hopefully a lot of women are laughing with me right now about that. Uh, but uh, it really was grounding. And I think I've always uh, understood what's most important. I've, I've seen a lot and experienced a lot in my life personally and professionally. Um, but it, it was a moment where it it's this invisible thing. And for me, it was this invisible cancer inside my face that I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know what was going to be um, in our future. But um, right. but walking towards someone, uh, walking down the aisle with my father, those are the moments that you say, you know what, whatever is going to be, it's going to be all right. Um, and it, right. it helps you move forward. Right. And, and, and also having having the support of your family, and and also of Tim, you know, um, I mean, what what more could you ask for? You know, the, the oh, people no, I, that, that you love the most and who love you the most surrounding you and supporting you and saying, hey, you know what? We're going to get through this and we're going to do it. That's it. Yeah. And, and certainly, you know, I've been a very independent woman. Um, uh, str- certainly, uh, very strong in my mind about what I'm going to do and how I've lived my life. I left, I actually grew up in Miami, but I left at 18 for college and I moved homes every year. I moved cities every two to three years. And, um, I always loved taking care of other people. Um, and, uh, being taken care of wasn't my best suit. <laughs> I'd like to say that I'm much improved. Um, but it was, it was, you know, I feel like it's a gift to be in a place, to have a husband, to have a family where um, you just have to just accept and let it go and believe that they'll take care of you and know that they will. Um, and, uh, you know, whether they're family by blood or family as, through friendship or whatever it might be, I think the most important thing in our lives is to have an impact on other people and, you know, have those types of relationships that, um, that you feel those moments. You know, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It just is a connection with other people because why are we all here if we're not putting some good into the world and and being that hug and being that kiss and just standing there next to someone and not having to talk but them knowing you're there are the most important things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And Tim, you know, started out the marriage with points in the bank. <laughs> yeah. He's got some good points yeah. in the bank. <laughs> he did, he did really well. He did really well. Uh, he's been he's been a trooper. I I uh I, I laugh sometimes. Uh yeah, we we talk about how everyone's asking are you going to go on some extravagant honeymoon and what are you guys going to do next? And and we laugh because we just say, you know what would be really nice on a Friday or Saturday night just to sit home and watch a movie, watch Netflix make dinner and just relax and put our phones right. away. <laughs> and it's those simple moments that we were both craving at the end of all of this. And um, we've been able to experience that. And 
So we're we're in a really good spot. I'm really I'm beyond grateful. I don't I definitely wouldn't have been able to do it without him and without my parents and my sister. And um, it's just beyond grateful, thankful, and everything in between. That's wonderful. It really is wonderful. And and I know that uh, you know it, it. This whole situation has prepared you for such great things that you're going to continue to do in your career. Did you always know that you wanted to be in media? I certainly always knew that I wanted to be a writer. writer. I, um, when I was young, I used to, uh, you know, journal, and I loved all of my English classes and my essays and so on. So I always knew that that would be a part of my life. I obviously was more of a creative writer. Um, but um, I actually, in my high school, a Gulliver Prep here in town, um, we had a class that was a video production class. I took it. I loved it. We watched good movies like Jaws and learned how they did it, <laughs> <laughs> all, those, all those special effects. And then the next uh, class after that was what uh, they called Raider Vision. So we had our own little TV news show. And I was very excited about you know, doing the audio, doing the editing, and they threw me out there as a reporter. Um, at, for the station, and I was dying, and um, I actually was very, very shy as a young girl. I um, had some trouble even in first grade because I wouldn't speak to anybody, and finally started to come out of my shell a bit, but I've always been really shy, so uh, it was interesting, but um, the one thing that was mentioned to me when I went off to college was convergence, and the idea that um, you weren't just going to be a newspaper writer. You weren't just going to be on TV or on the radio working for NPR. Um, what was going to happen is what's happened and that there is a demand for you to be everywhere. And people want to get their news in all ways. And as we've seen with the explosion of social media um, and, you know, 24-hour news cycle and so on, um, we, we've, we've learned that. We've experienced it. So you learn everything. And, and from then on, I just um, – after undergrad, I went to grad school. I always been interested in public policy, so I went to American University, as you mentioned, uh, and studied journalism and public affairs, and uh, started off in Knoxville, Tennessee, which I didn't know existed. I'd like to say that I know so many things about geography, but right. I knew about a Nashville. <laughs> I was unaware of a Knoxville, um, and uh, started my career from there. So it's uh, it's it's been a journey. Um, you know, I think I still have my shy moments. We are still always ourselves. Um, but I have met so many amazing people. Um, and, you know, I'd like to think that I've been impactful in a variety of communities, including my own. Um, and I think that's a gift and, and an honor. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's wonderful that, that you're back home, you know, in South Florida. And, um, and, you know, that, that you're able to, to make a difference in your community uh, because I know that you're very involved with the United Way uh, down in Miami-Dade. Um, anything you want to uh, to throw in there uh, about the United Way? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, um, sure. it's so near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, and, and it, it's interesting. I, when I left Miami um, after high school and went away, I thought I might never come back. I, I felt like there was, um, obviously, we have a great tourism area and, and South Beach and so on, but I felt like as much as we could enjoy all those things that the tourists did, the sunshine and so on, it felt more superficial for me. It felt like I, you know, I wanted to be in a deep conversation uh, about 
international politics or, you know, just something, some just deeper things, deeper thought processes, uh, people that wanted to create change. And I just didn't see that even as a teenager. Um, and I, I was weary. And, um, you know, over the years, I started to see Miami grow up. I used to think of it as a preteen. And, uh, you know, of course, living in Boston, <laughs> I think I, I picked up a little attitude. Um, and then I saw Miami <laughs> growing up. And then I saw this amazing group of young people, some of my friends who came back or stayed, just making changes that, that didn't just affect 20s and 30s, but affected people who are 40s and 50s in different communities in our neighborhoods. And I thought, wow, I want to do that too. I mean, I know I do that at right. work, but it'd be nice to keep going. You know, I, you know I'd, I'd be that person who I'm at a crime scene, I'm at a shooting, and then I do the follow-up with the heartbroken mother. And then that's it. And then we move on. But it was the answer for me to all of those questions about what comes next. How do these families come back together again? And even these kids who don't have the resources, the basic resources to be able to go to school, the, the uniforms, the books, anything. Um, and I think United Way is the answer to so many of our societal issues. Um, obviously, the way United Way works is we, it's an umbrella organization for a lot of smaller nonprofits in the area that wouldn't yes. be heard or seen uh, without them. So when you talk about serving a community in its entirety, United Way does that. And they have different communities. They call them giving communities. For me, um, I'm part of the Young Leaders. It's under 40s. And we get together and we do great projects. You know, we go to schools in underserved areas and we, with a local artist, paint beautiful murals on the walls. I mean, who doesn't want to see that driving by? Just a little bit right. of bright, a little bit of color. Um, we read with kids to talk about pre-K education and, and reading. And um, it really, it, it hits every box for me. Um, and I would also encourage anyone, uh, whether I know you mentioned you're obviously very active in Broward, whether you're in Miami-Dade or Broward or elsewhere, uh, United Way is all over. And, you know, it's, it's not something that you have to commit to everything. You can just show up and, and right. do some volunteer hours and Right. And, 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 you know, I, I think it's important to note that when you are a media professional, you know, you're in a high profile position and you're called upon a lot, you know, off off screen. So, it, you know, it's not like, you know, if you're doing the, the morning news that you're done, you know, at 1 p.m., no, there, there's still a lot more that has to be done throughout the day, you know, in preparation for news stories and different projects you may be working on. But then there's also the demand from the community and and from local charities, you know. And, you know, uh, I think it's admirable. And, you know, and a lot of people don't don't see all the behind-the-scenes work that goes into being a media professional there's you know appearances at different events and uh and so much more involvement and you know and the other thing is aside from the fact that you personally get involved and and do care you know about helping and helping the community you know you have a wealth of experience and education and i think lots of times people take that for granted with with media professionals, you know, uh, they say, oh, well, you know, they're in front of the screen because they're beautiful. 
Well, no, they're in front of the screen because they're intelligent, they're heartfelt in what they do, they're dedicated. The fact that they're beautiful is a plus, but that's not why they're in front of the screen because, you know, you wouldn't be able to cover stories the way you've covered if you were not intelligent and you didn't have the education and experience that you have. Am I, am I uh, off base? Am I accurate? What would you say? (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment. So thank you. (laughs) Yes. But certainly, I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think that's oftentimes what, what people will believe uh, seeing television news reporter versus say <clears throat> seeing someone who, who works in a newspaper. Um, and um, I think that it's, uh, it's not an easy job. I think people generally think that it's something that, Oh, it must be so glamorous. Well, you didn't know that I was sitting in a car for six hours doing my hair and makeup in my rearview mirror and right. it's been raining nonstop <laughs> for so many hours, and I haven't been off, uh, you know, in days that I've been working double. So it, it's certainly not an easy job. It's not a job that you get paid a crazy amount of money, and you say, you know what, we're getting paid, or you know what, we get vacation time. Um, it, right. It's not any of those things. It's um, we do it because we believe in it. We do it because we, for a lot of us, it's a sense of civic duty. Uh, it's a sense of giving back to our community. Um, and it's telling the stories that need to be told so that we create uh, a well-informed, educated public so that we can all make better decisions for ourselves, for our families, um, and, and for our communities. Absolutely. And I think people also underestimate the skills that you need to be in front of a camera because it looks so easy and glamorous, but really you do need skills. I mean, it does take a sort of talent to be able to do that and to deliver such a concise message and, you know, to have the the certain tone that you need to have. I mean, it's almost like an art. I mean, I don't think most people realize getting in front of that camera and delivering the message is, is kind of a lot of pressure and doing it in the right way and capturing the audience. um, It's not that easy. Yeah. And I think the most important part of of all of it, and, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of, a lot of my news directors over time say a minute 30, that's it. Your stories can only be a minute 30. And when you think about (laughs) that, and when you think about that emotional plea from a mother who's asking for an end to gun violence, when you think about the interview you also did with the pastor and the police department chief, and you think about everything that happened that day, everything you learned, and then you have your boss telling you a minute 30, you need to figure out how to make that happen. And you have a duty and responsibility to make that happen, to, to put all of that into that amount of time. Uh, I think that's the most difficult and um, when you do it, rewarding part of the job. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly will say that I, over the years on and off, have struggled with that. I luckily was a special projects and investigative reporter for a good chunk of my career as well. So they gave me more time, the time that I would say, oh, yes, my job. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, there's definitely some skill sets that, that you learn. And um, it's changed ever so much now that I remember – when I first started, you know, sometimes they'd be like, oh, okay, you're going to be on in an hour. And I think, oh, is an hour enough to prepare? And now it's uh, once you arrive there and have your feet on the ground, uh, you'll be going live. And, and, you know, let's just go. And you'll be going live every 20, 30 minutes as, as we go on through the evening newscast. So it is certainly right. demanding. Wow. Right. Yeah. And, and let's, let's talk about um, where were you when, you when you received your first Emmy? I received my first enemy in Indianapolis, Indiana, 
And um, it actually was my first uh, investigative story that I did on my own. Um, I'll have to thank my boss, Lee Rosenthal, for that one. And, okay. uh, you know, it was, a, it was a moment for me where I thought, you know what, this is what I want to do. And at the time, I certainly wasn't thinking about an Emmy. I was thinking about helping this woman. Um, and the basic uh, information for the story was a woman reached out to us. Her mother uh, was living on her own. Um, she was older, elderly, and um, generally healthy, you know, taking care of herself in her own ha- home. And she had a stroke. And she had one of those emergency medical uh, alert devices. You know, we've seen the commercials where you have it around right. your neck and you push mm-hmm. the button and, and, and paramedics yeah. respond. Um, and she pushed the button and she pushed the button and she pushed the button and no one came. And she laid on her bedroom floor for about six hours until wow. uh, someone finally arrived. And um, it actually was um, a button that was made by Philips, which everyone knows that's a well-known company name. Uh, and her daughter right. believed that, you know what, we believe in the brand name of Philips. We believe this will protect our mother. And it was a false sense of security. And we learned that in some major cities, um, and there's obviously different buttons and different companies involved now, um, but in major cities, they have their own. Philips has its own call centers. But in some smaller communities where I was, where this was outside Indianapolis, um, they actually can rent and sell their equipment to other people, to nonprofits, to hospitals that then run it. And um, that people weren't pro- uh, taught properly um, how to respond and what the messages meant because they were coming in obviously differently than an actual 911 call to the 911 center. And, uh, and she ended up um, in, in, a, in a home and um, incapable of speaking, and, and it was devastating. And oh um, it wasn't something that could be reversed. So we ended up actually uh, kicking them out of that community um, it actually was a nonprofit that was working out of a hospital, and then they were um, they were removed from the hospital. And it was a 911 uh, dispatcher who didn't really understand and didn't have the training uh, when he was getting his alerts to, to help her out. Um, so I think it's stories like those that that hit a nerve um, on, on so many wow. levels for so many families. When you think about your parents aging, um, and um, and even just people who have medical conditions in itself, regardless of how old they are. Um, and it's certainly worth looking into. I'll always encourage even today, you know, if you're getting a button, if you're looking into this, which I think is a great tool, um, look to see who, who makes it, who's going to answer the call when, when your mother or father push it. Um, and uh, in, in the end, we uh, put it in, my photographer and I, for an Emmy. And we were up against these journalists who were in it for 10, 15 years. And I looked up to them and said, God, I want to be like them one day. And uh, in that one category, we managed to win, and it was – I didn't even go. I, I was so busy doing my next story, and I got a call, and it, it was a moment. It was a moment that said, you know what, wow. this, this, was, this was good journalism. And that's all we, all of us really want to do. That's wonderful. And, you know, that yeah. story in and of itself probably saved lives because of what it exposed. And and it gave yep. people an opportunity, hopefully, to really correct those problems that that you know that they were having with the system. Mhm. Mhm. So you know. Definitely, and that's sure. the hope. And go ahead. I certainly that was the hope then, and and even now, um, you know, I think a lot of times we're so busy, we're so busy, um, and even as I mentioned, you know, the doctor's appointment, just make a doctor's appointment and go. You deserve it. 
um, you know, stopping to say, you know what, okay, I bought this or I invested in this. Let me look a little bit deeper and try to find that time to do that because, you know, in, we don't like to think about those worst moments, but, but we need to sometimes. And I think that's certainly a, a place where we should all look. Um, and a false sense of security is, is not the way we ever want to feel in our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what would you say has been um, a highlight of your career thus far? Wow. I mean, I certainly, that was one. Um, it was my first investigative story. It was my first Emmy. Um, and um, a lot of my work in Indianapolis was, was very impactful. And, and this is why, actually, I, I've thought about this recently. Um, I ended up with, and I, my boss assigned me to this city beat. And I thought, okay, I'm on the city beat. What does that mean? Does that mean I have to go to a lot of city council meetings? I don't think this <laughs> is going to make very good TV. I'm worried about this. If I was a newspaper journalist, I would be great. Um, and it was a surprise for me on so many levels. Um, it was, in fact, a local government um, in Indianapolis. It was a city county uh, kind of involved in one sphere. And um, I talked to every head of every department, um, the mayor, the mayor's guy, right-hand man, um, and all of these people. And I just sat down and had coffee with them and said, you know what, what's most important to you? What's most important to you? Or, or what's happening right now in your district that people need to know about? And um, I think so often what I learned, obviously, was, okay, let's talk about the firefighter funding and the funding for new equipment to keep them safe or the funding to make sure that they all the trucks are, are maintained the way they should be, which obviously affects how long it takes to come to help you since they're also paramedics. And all of these little decisions or that seem little are the decisions that are made that impact us the most. And I think I love to see the excitement for the presidential elections. I do every single time. But I wonder when we look at those ballots and we try and figure out who these local representatives are, if you even know who your representative is, most of the time you don't know. And there's just so many decisions being made at a local level that I just would love to see more people getting involved with. Um, so yeah. for me, going back to my position, it was a highlight on so many of those things. And, yes, I went to those meetings. <laughs> yes, I had those coffees. But what I would do then is go out into these neighborhoods and go talk to the people. i start knocking on doors and just say, hey, you know, what's going on here? What do you think about this? Talking to everyday people about what was happening in the community and informing them of that. Because, look, we, I, I'm not going to fault anyone. At certain times, I didn't know my representatives, this, that, and the other. I wouldn't even know if they were on a piece of paper. But, right. you know, there is that amount of time that you should put into that, just even for a few moments, figure out, okay, who are these people and what's happening? Because there are so many decisions being made that affect us every single day. And I'd like to see that, that involvement for sure. I think we'd all be happier, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. I think most of us just feel like we're just one person and we don't really know how to make that difference. But in, in the reality of things, we, we, if we all were to actually be well-informed and, and that's, you know, obviously where, where you come in, um, I think we would all have more willpower to move forward and, and really understand what's going on. But I think we kind of all look at this political thing as a, such a huge, like, oh, it's the White House, it's in D.C., I can't do anything from here. But really, I mean, most of the things that affect us are being decided, like, in our backyard. Exactly. Right. And, you know, I know it's not necessarily the most exciting reading, 
But, you know, you can go online in your local community and the notes of what's going to be discussed at the city council meetings will be there, uh, sometimes in, in great detail. And you can show up if there's an issue that you might be interested in. And it just takes a few minutes to review it um, or even not show up and write your representative and say, hey, you know, I'd love to discuss this with you. And I think that's where you can actually have that face-to-face contact that you wouldn't have at that higher level. Um, and then start to yeah. meet people that if you want to have an impact at a you know, state or federal level, then you can go do that too. Um, there's just so much yeah. to do. And I know there's so little time because I'm saying this and I know that people have kids and jobs and uh, it's, it's difficult. There's never enough time in the day. But um, it, just for a moment, I think sometimes just kind of check in with your local government. It's always, always a plus. Yeah, absolutely. For someone that, let's say, wants to make a difference and they know of a subject that's going on that they feel like they want to go out there, so you would suggest that they would write to the person in charge or show up? Are they going to be heard when they show up to these meetings or are they just going to be like an audience listening to what's going on? How would you advise somebody that wants to make a difference? Well, I think it certainly depends on... uh, what the topic what is, topic you know, in some situations, some someone might just want to speak and be heard about what's happening in our neighborhood. Other people might want to take action and protest. Other people might want to get involved. And if it's with, uh, you know, child education, they want to go tutor kids. So I think it certainly depends on what they'd like to do and what topic. But I will say that they have public comment at these meetings. You'll see it uh, on their agendas. So you will have that freedom to go and, and speak. You can email and write your representatives. I've even reached out to people on Twitter before. You never know. Everybody's different. I can't make a promise that every representative is going to write you back. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think that everyone is feeling uh, the responsibility to respond and to communicate and to interact um, with the citizens. And uh, I'm seeing more and more uh, representatives and mayors and governors um, interactive on their social media and their teams. And, um, And they're communicating. And so I think that's great. And I think you can certainly get involved in the conversation uh, when it comes to specific issues where you'd like to, you know, fight in Tallahassee and join a group or protest. Um, a lot of that obviously is online. A lot of it also, too, you know, United Way, for example, they have a group that looks at the latest issues and, um, and talks about, you know, is this good for us? Is this not so good for us? You know, do we have any thoughts on the matter? And look, let's look at these programs that help. And who can we get to get involved and, and be a mentor to our child um, and so on? So there's, there's certainly a lot of answers. I think it depends on, on where you want to go with it. Yeah. Right. I know. I was, I was also asking because I've written to uh, certain people, and I always get, like, a generic message responding. It's, it's pertaining to the subject, and it does give me some insight on where they stand on it but it never seems to actually reach the person I'm trying to get in touch with. And so that's why I wanted to clear that up for anyone that wanted to take that step further. I mean, I just took the time to write an email. I'm sure there's a lot more that I could have done. Um, But I I think a lot of people are probably wondering, you know, where their power stands as far as how, how far they can take it. Yeah. Yeah, And I agree agree with a million emails too, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I agree with you, Anne. You know, I've reached out to people via Twitter, and I've gotten responses, and some of them have become guests on this show. So, you know, oh, wow. you, you just you just never know. It really depends on you never know. on on who you're communicating with, and you know, and and how how accessible they really are. Um, mm-hmm. But I know yep. that my experience 
um, has been that I've I've gotten some some great responses, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and quite often they'll they'll contact me privately via email or or call the office line, uh, which is fine, you know. Um, but you know, it's it's nice when when you can get a response, and and you know, um, uh, Adriana, the at least here in Florida, you know, with Sunshine Law, you know, there are a lot of things that are out in the open, and they have to be because of the law. So I, I think it's a lot easier to get access to things because, you know, if you email a public official. Um, anywhere here in the state of Florida, uh, you email them or call them, there's got to be a record of it, and you can request documents, you can request emails, you can request all kinds of things from government officials because of the Florida Public Records Law, uh, Florida Statute 119. And when you start making those requests, guess what? People start responding. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't like they don't like to get those requests for records. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they, they know they know you're responding. serious. They know you're serious. Exactly. Yeah, and they know by law. Asking. Yeah, and by law they have to produce it if they're a government oh, official wow, in the no state idea. of Florida. Yeah. So any government agency you can go to them and you can request any documents, you know, as long as it's not uh you know, uh, exempt from the law or it's not, you know, based on a confidential investigation, something like that. But, you know, re- reporters here in Florida, that's they get a lot of the, the meat for their story from police reports that are public record mm-hmm. because lots of times they can't get anyone who will agree to an interview. But, you know, mm-hmm. they still have to produce reports and things. Um, and, and, and you did a story back when you were up in Orlando with uh with Fox thirty five um regarding undocumented unaccompanied minors. Um so I'd like to talk about that because obviously that's a hot button topic. And mm-hmm. you know, the the latest news, by the way, and I, I don't know if, if you guys have heard the news, but the latest news is that the president, Donald Trump, signed an executive order regarding um, keeping families together. He signed an executive order, I think it was about an hour ago, uh, just prior to the show starting, that, uh, that essentially will keep families together and house them, you know, in, uh, in a special area. Uh, I haven't had an opportunity to read the entire order, but I know that it it does address, you know, um, uh, minors coming into the country with adults, and and how that is to be handled, and charging the the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, and uh, and obviously those related government agencies to uh, to handle it in that way. So. Um, you know, it is the policy of this administration to maintain family unity, including by detaining alien families together where appropriate and consistent with law and available resources. So uh, it still says in, in his executive order, it is unfortunate that Congress's failure to act and court orders have put the administration in the position of separating 
alien families to effectively enforce the law. It's kind of like a little tit for tat yeah. still going on, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, does it really matter? Yeah. Did you really have to put yeah. that in there? But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, I think what's, um, I think what's interesting is that this conversations are being had right now, which I think is certainly a positive and there's some negativity involved in those um, one liners as well from, from every side that I, I don't generally think is, is useful but, you know, in, in reference to the story that we talked about ahead of the show, is, is the story I did of undocumented, unaccompanied minors, which are basically, you know, minors who come in without parents will be separated. And this right. is in November of 2014. And at this time, the White House was saying that it was an urgent humanitarian situation. This is November 2014. It's not been a few months. This has been an ongoing right. issue. And I don't think it got no. the coverage that it's getting now, and it's a little slightly different. Um, a lot of the conversation then, is, as small as it was, it wasn't really happening in the, in the broad mainstream effect, um, was the issue of the court systems and then being ill-prepared for a lot of these young people who, you know, expected and, and, and deserved their day in court to argue that they should stay in this country. And I actually interviewed a, a, young, a young teenager um, who who came alone? His his um his mother sent oh, wow. him, and um, he's coming from Central America. His father was killed uh, in a lot of the gang activity and so on, and, and he came alone, and um, mm-hmm. and he wanted to stay, and he would have to he would have to obviously he he identified himself and so on, and he was processed and 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 all of those things, and possibly in a place that we've seen now in in the news what they look like. And he needed to establish an asylum claim, and he needed to find an attorney, and he needed to find somewhere to stay, a distant relative, a friend of a friend, and, mm. and all of these things you can imagine. And we've seen the young wow. children, but even these 15- and 16-year-olds, um, that the parents just say, go. And, and for him, it was, I'm either going to die on my way there or, or die in my country, and my only hope is getting there. And he didn't think he would have to fight in court, find an attorney, uh, you know, who is, is open to accepting no money and, and go through this process from then on. It, it's a very complicated issue. It hits close to home for everyone because everyone is a son, a daughter, a father, and so on. And it, it's difficult. Um, and I think, though, the one great thing about what's happening now, the only positive in all of this, because I, I, the, the, the cries and so on from these children is certainly heartbreaking, um, the, the yeah. great thing is that we're having this conversation and we're talking, hopefully, about making impactful change that will make um, the majority, if we hope, uh, happy with what's going to happen um, and at least give some hope and, and options for people. Um, I think there should right. be a compassionate, a compassionate solution. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I was also reading about the fact that a lot of times when they go into court to, to to be able to get the political asylum, they have to prove it somehow, and they don't. They just don't have ways of doing it because they're being detained. So it kind of creates a little bit of a situation where they really don't have a way out because of the way that they're being held. It, it doesn't allow for them to go out there and, and gather everything. So the attorneys that they can't even afford – 
are left to do, you know, this work that almost seems it would be like impossible for somebody to go to another country and try and find this evidence that's going to show why someone has to move here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And back then in November, 2014, I talked to attorneys who said exactly what you just said. It's a common obstacle, but as part of the proceedings, you need to retrieve evidence from your native country to help argue that, you know, if you went back, you will die. You you are at risk of suffering, and um, mm-hmm. it's certainly not an easy situation. Um, and, and look, there's no easy answer. I'm certainly not going to sit here and say that I know what what should happen or, or not. Um, but and it's complicated because you know we live in a country where certainly we should secure our borders and we should protect our families, and we also mm-hmm. um, are a country of of immigrants. Uh, my family yes. came over, and um, and it, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult to make decisions about what's next. But I think step one is yeah. having an educated conversation, and I, I really hope that it continues, regardless of you know what's said today, what's changed today. I hope that we continue to have these conversations because there are so many issues on immigration that that should be tackled uh, better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, look, I understand the arguments of. You know, well, there's people coming into the country that, you know, are criminals and killers and rapists, and that's true. Mm-hmm. But even if they didn't come into the country, we have our own fair share of murderers and rapists. You know, um, mm-hmm. it, to me, it's not a justification to separate families. You know, I, I think we do have to screen people coming in just like our ancestors were screened. You know, my grandfather came through Ellis Island, you know. So, you know, there there were processes in place. Um, I I don't agree with separating the children from the adults. I think, you know, if the adult needs to be held, then the child should be with them. I mean, it's got to be so scary for a child coming in from another country who may not even speak the language to come in, they're already fearful, they're already filled with anxiety, they're already traumatized by the trip, and now you're going to put them with a bunch of strangers because the adult needs to be, you know, taken somewhere. I mean, that's just, to me, that's just even creating more trauma for the child. Mm-hmm. And and some people say, well, it's the adult's fault for bringing them. Okay, but why are we going to have the child suffer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, and and, and, I, and that speaks to why there needs to be a, there needs to be real conversation solutions too. Because yeah. like, what, the one thing we will all agree on is that every child deserves a family, every child deserves love. And we all know too well what happens when there are absentee parents or parental figures. We see the statistics, and I can tell you one of the most heartbreaking things I've seen in my life and I've experienced in my life is what happens in these juvenile courts, and not just here in Miami-Dade, but all these other communities I've been in. You go to these juvenile courts and you see these children, because I've done a story on the news and it brings me to court, and it's just, it's heartbreaking because every child deserves a chance, and with certain starts, it just doesn't seem realistic. We can't break yeah. yes. children at such a young age. And, you know, it's, 
it's just it, it's not easy. It's not easy, and I um, I think just when you hear their their cries and you cries don't want to do something just to give them comfort to tell them it's going to be okay, it's it's inhumane. Um, right. So yeah. I'm I'm hopeful we'll see some positive movement from here because that's you know this is where our country is built on. We should have a voice and the democracy and um, and hopefully we'll we'll return to some things quickly. Yes, indeed, indeed. And mm-hmm. um, what uh, what do we have on the horizon for Anne? What's uh, what's what's Anne's I plan? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well. I uh, I actually I left WSVN. It was a very difficult decision for me. I uh, after I, as I mentioned before, I sort of I was at a point where I thought I'd never come back, and then all of a sudden I wanted to be in every facet of it, every facet of our right. community, and um, and I, I really enjoyed serving our community here in the area and so on. Um, but um, I left, and I think at the in the most basic level, I think when you feel like you've dodged a bullet you don't run into a fire, uh, literally, because yeah. <laughs> I used to do yeah. that, um, at least for a little while. Uh, you know, I had I, cancer, I beat it, and I'm so ready for what's next now. I've worked so hard to get my strength back, and I, I feel 100% now, which is amazing. I, I, I still think about shuffling my feet after surgery on pain meds and so on and, and, and being unable to concentrate and, and feeling like a very basic childlike version of myself because I was incapable of doing everything for myself. And, and now I think about where I am now and um, I'm so excited for my future. I'm looking into a few projects right now and, uh, you know, I just want to be involved in, in what's happening next, uh, fresh and practical right. thinking. And um, so I'm, I'm still looking. I'm still trying to figure out the right combination. Um, but it's, it's exciting, and of course, uh, hopefully, I'll have more to report on my blog as I move forward, and stories to tell because we can all learn from each other as we uh, as we try and make create better versions of ourselves. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think I think that you and and Adriana have a lot in common because Adriana yeah, is in yeah. is in the process of of rebuilding herself and rebranding herself. And uh, I think I think that uh, the two of you have a lot in common in that respect. Yeah, I definitely so, agree because there just comes a point where, well, I was in luxury real estate, and it kind of got to a point where you just had this empty feeling, and I was, you know, closing deals that were of some significance, but it just, to me, I wouldn't feel accomplished because it really didn't have a purpose except for it was money-driven. And so I think it's important for all of us to really dig deep down to find the purpose that makes us want to feel that fulfillment, you know, that that emptiness being fulfilled, the emptiness that I was feeling at any time I would close a major deal. It was just because it wasn't my real purpose. And I, and I think that sometimes we do think that we have a passion for something and we'll go down that road. But then once that road has kind of, suffice enough to lead us into our real purpose that's when we have to make that executive decision like how you made to you know what I do still love this and it is a big part of me but there's something greater that I have to pursue and I think just like you said being a better version of ourselves everybody has that other version that we can become that's just better and more serving and we can't you know I think a lot of us get stuck 
in the routine of having the same life over and over and over day in and day out. And we don't have, we can't get rid of the fear of actually stepping outside of, you know, what we've always known to do and, and the only thing that we know to do. And so I applaud you for, you know, taking that leap in the other direction because I really think it's going to bring you closer to your, your real purpose. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And you touched on such great things too. I, I think about, you know, a lot of the decisions I've made in my life, I think were based on, on fear um, versus hope. And I saw that when I, of all the different t- the time I had to think um, over the last, two months or so, um, I, I realized that so many of my decisions were being made based on fear. Fear wasn't good enough. Fear I couldn't do it. Fear that if I left this and I didn't know what was going to come next, that I would fail and I, I wouldn't have a place and I wouldn't be someone who's impactful. I mean, the list goes on. We all have our own fears um, with every decision yep. professionally and otherwise. And I think we all would benefit. And I, you know, I'm 34 now, so I wish I knew this a little sooner. <laughs> but um, really, really trying to make an effort to make decisions based on hope, based on what's yeah. next. And um, and I certainly don't think we all need to have bad experiences. But I will say, um, like the cancer diagnosis, like other things that have happened to me in my life, whether they were my fault or just happened to me, were just luck. Like my cancer, my doctor tells me, I'm thinking about all these things I did in my life, all these bad decisions. Uh, you know, what did I do? Did I cause it? He tells me, you know what? Your cancer is luck. And what do you right. do with that? You know, you don't have yourself to blame. You don't have anyone else to blame. It's just happened to you. And, and in those moments, you can think, think to such a deep and dark place, whether it's cancer, a divorce, um, a loss of a loved one, whatever it might be. But I think the most important thing is who we are afterwards. It's when we pick ourselves up and we say, what's next? What will make me right. happy? Where will I have an impact? And, and that's exactly who you are. So you decide who you are, no one else. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's really a great closing note. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, do you have any... Did, did I leave anything out? Anything that uh, that you oh, want to mention? Oh my gosh, no! Before we close <laughs> out, every meeting I have in the future, though, to advertise for me, I appreciate all your oh, kind thank words you. and, and the time to to sit here and talk about important things. That you know, I think so often that uh, conversations these days are are very surface, and um, it just be nice to hear about other people and what they're up to and and how to make an impact and and a reminder to love harder. And these are such great things. So thank you. It really was a privilege yeah. to to be a part of this hour with you all. Thank, thank you. So much, thank you Anna. so much for for coming on the show. And um, I know that, that you'll agree to come back, you know, once, uh, once you're, you, you have some things, um, you know, figured out in terms of uh, your professional, uh, your professional life. And, thank you, uh, of course. And, and, you know, we'll even have Tim come on too. I bet he, oh, he's yeah. got some things he wants to say. <laughs> oh, I'm sure <laughs> he can give he us will. the other side I'm of sure it. He will. Oh no! <laughs> I actually think he might love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's welcome anytime. We're gonna we're gonna get him an award because um, yes, he he deserves you know, it. He deserves you know, it. He's my champion. He's oh, a he's been a real trooper through it all. So. And you know, ha- having not met him, um, 
you know, I, I always explain to couples because I, you know, you know that I meet with a lot of couples, and um, particularly when I know one of them personally, and I haven't had an opportunity to yet meet the other half. Um, I know everything I need to know about the other person without meeting them based on how the person is that I do know. Because, you know, we impact each other's lives. And in Mm -hmm. in a relationship, in a marriage, you are impacting your spouse. So, you know, um, you've, you've been in great spirits. You've been strong. You've... You've been positive. I'm I'm sure you've had your moments where you may have of been course. overwhelmed, but you know because that's that's human and that's human nature. But through it all, the the fact that that you've been so positive and and really upbeat about everything tells me a lot about him without ever having met him. So mm-hmm. you definitely got to keep her there. I did. I, think, I got a good one. I wait. I waited. Yeah, I, I waited. I was patient, yeah. and I found it. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, I think uh, I think you you've both done well with your choices. So that's yeah, that's a really good thing. We have, we have, yes. I think you know the most important thing, and and with my. I have so much knowledge about marriage, obviously, since I'm <laughs> I got married. <laughs> but um, what I will say is just having a true partner, um, having someone that that makes it all okay without saying anything, um, and you know you can trust more than yourself. Uh, and you're someone like me, especially. Uh, I think that is a true gift. Um, so no one right. should ever settle for a partner that that doesn't give them that. Right. Yeah. I agree. Totally. Totally. All right. Well, wonderful. Thank you again for coming on. And uh, thank you for being so inspiring. And oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And and uh, I'm going to have to make sure I connect you two. Um, yeah, for sure. Because I, I think. Uh, well, you know, we all need to get together and have lunch. So we'll. Uh, no, always good. say that. And then it <laughs> I know. I know. You know what? You know what, Adriana. As the co-host, I'm we're going to assign it to you. Okay. We're going to assign it to you. That's going to okay. be your we're special assignment. What was the place that you always love to mention? Rinconcito? Oh, Rinconcito, 107. Yes. yes. Yeah, right down by the FIU campus. Okay, well, we'll, we'll make it big for all three of us. Yeah. Sounds I mean, good. you know, depending on, on where we go, I know a restaurant in every area of town. So. <laughs> it shows you're on the road. You're busy. That's right. That's right. I am on the road. I am on the road. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. And uh, <clears throat> thank you to the listeners uh, for being a part. And, uh, you know, if you have an idea for a show, send us a message through the show page. Uh, Connect with us on social media. Uh, We love hearing from listeners. Uh, Shout out to to my listeners in the UK and my listeners in Australia. I've been uh, battling uh, some issues with my vocal cords here. Um, A lot of ceremonies over the past few weeks, so I've been doing a lot of talking. Doctor uh, said to me yesterday, yeah, your, your throat looks a little irritated. Don't talk so much. So... (laughs) 
What can I help? We'll, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. So uh, thank you all for, for joining us. And, um, you know, uh, keep watching the show page and social media for our next show. Uh, we've, we're working on a few different guests. So uh, we'll keep you posted. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. And um, I'm so glad that uh, we have a uh, some relation to immigration for now with the uh, president's executive order. Okay. Take care. Be well. Bye-bye.